It is that time of year again when the who's who of Hollywood bask in the glow of their own work. It is Oscar season. I'm Rachel Martin. This is Up for Sunday. And yes, the Academy Awards are just a week away. So who is likely to win and why? For answers, we're going to turn to our in-house experts over at NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. As always, they have insights and some predictions on who may walk away with a coveted golden statue. Before we hear from the team, though, I thought that we should call up Linda Holmes. She's one of the hosts of the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. Hi, Linda. Hi, Rachel. So I wanted to start with a question about the overall industry because, I mean, we all know COVID did a big number on the film industry and movie theaters Mm -hmm. shut down, some to never reopen again. And how has the movie industry recalibrated itself? Well, there's no question that it's still a time of high anxiety for the theatrical business. Um, as you mentioned, there have been a bunch of theaters that closed this year in some of the from some of the big chains. It was already a very hard time for movie theaters because of streaming and because of changes in the industry. Definitely, COVID kind of slammed down on them. I do think this year there were some signs of life that have been pretty promising. The ones that get the most play are Top Gun, Maverick, and Avatar, The Way of Water, but also, you know, slightly smaller but still really successful films like Everything Everywhere All at Once, which did really well in theaters despite not being that kind of massive sequel blockbuster. So there are some signs of life. It's still really tough. Let's talk about that film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's getting a whole lot of attention this Oscar season. Actor James Hong, he's one of the stars. He made a speech recently at the SAG Awards, right, that's gone viral? So I I got my uh, first SAT card in, uh, well, anyway, 70 years ago. What happened? Absolutely. Uh, James Hong, you got to understand, has been working steadily in both movies and television since about 1955. Hmm. If you look up his resume, you will find literally hundreds and hundreds of roles that he's played. But when the ensemble from Everything Everywhere All at Once won the SAG Award for Best Ensemble, they really gave him a moment to address the room. He's over 90 years old. I believe he's 94. And he stepped up and he spoke about his long history in Hollywood. And one One of the things that he talked about was, you know, the history of Yellowface, having white actors play Asian characters, which resulted in some incredibly insulting and upsetting portrayals. And so I think he was trying to kind of mark how far they've come since, for example, the 1937 movie, The Good Earth. The leading role was played by these guys with the eyes taped up like this, and they talk like this, because the producer said, The Asians were not good enough, and they are not box office. But look at us now, huh? That is crazy to hear that anecdote, actually, now. But it just wasn't that long ago. Not in the history of film, it wasn't. And I think it's been particularly nice this year that the whole cast of Everything Everywhere All at Once, Michelle Yeoh, who is this long-time decorated actress, Kiwi Kwan, who, among other things, played short round in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom when he was just a little boy, yeah. is now you know getting a chance to play this wonderful adult role in this film. Stephanie Hsu, who's a newcomer, Seeing that whole cast kind of get this moment to shine has been really, really special. 
You pointed out in some of your own reporting that there have been no women nominated for Best Director this year, right? Despite some pretty strong offerings. Yeah, so the films that have gotten the most talk that maybe they would have been good candidates are uh, The Woman King, which was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, and Women Talking, which was directed by Sarah Polly, who's also a, an experienced actress, and then After Sun, which is a wonderful family movie directed by Charlotte Wells. I think, you know, there had started to be this sense that women were making progress in directing awards. Um, Chloe Zhao won for Nomadland. Jane Campion won for Power of the Dog. And I think this was a disappointment to kind of see no women directors. There are also no black directors in the mix. Jordan Peele had Nope this year, which is a super interesting movie. So, you know, again, it, it always feels a little bit like that one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. So... I mean, you have this particular situation, Linda. A lot of people will look at it from the outside and be like, you have the best job ever. You just watch movies all the time and you get to cover the Oscars. But, you know, like anything that you do day in and day out, it can start to wear. Do you still find wonder in covering the Academy Awards? Every year, I see at least one or two films that I probably would not have seen on my own if I weren't covering the Oscars. Hmm. And that is always enough for me to enjoy it. I also typically have at least a couple of people who I'm just delighted to see honored and see them have a great happy moment. I think a lot of people think that that might well be somebody like Ki Hui Kwan, who we talked about this year. I was afraid that I had nothing more to offer, uh, that no matter what I did. I would, I would never surpass what I achieved as a kid. Thankfully, more than 30 years later, two guys thought of me. They remembered that kid. And they gave me an opportunity to try again. I love those, like, beautiful stories of people who are finally being recognized after a lot of years of work. So, you know, I am cynical about it officially, but I absolutely can still have my heart tugged by a great speech or a great win. Linda Holmes, you are still sentimental, you know, when it all comes down to it. You're a big teddy bear. It's true. (laughs) Okay, stay with us after the break. We're going to turn the show over to Linda and all of our friends at Pop Culture Happy Hour to tell us more about the nominees for Best Picture. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Martin. This is Up First Sunday. And now over to my friends at Pop Culture Happy Hour to discuss the 2023 Academy Award nominations for Best Picture. The Oscars are approaching and the nominations have covered some very big hits, some very small gems and everything in between. Fresh faces, familiar veterans, it's all here, and so are we. If you're a movie lover, and if you're entering an Oscar pool, or if you're just looking to catch up on what's good, we're here to help. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Linda Holmes. On this episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're offering up a guide to this year's Oscar nominations. Joining us today are our fellow Pop Culture Happy Hour hosts, 
Stephen Thompson. Hey, Stephen. Hello, Linda. And Glenn Weldon. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. So several of us have been covering the Oscars for a very long time together, since 2011. (sighs) God. I counted 106 Best Picture nominees. They're all winners. All winners. (laughs) They're all winners in our book. Not a dud in the bunch. Even the ones we've forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's true. It's true. Well, I am so glad to be here with all of you for our big Oscar show. We have all seen all of these nominees, so we have plenty of thoughts. Uh, First, we're obviously going to spend some time on a category you may have heard of called Best Picture. There are 10 nominees this year, and you can divide them, I feel like, into a few basic sort of families of movies. Uh First, we have big hits. These are the films that made bank at the box office. Glenn, why don't you walk us through these nominations? Sure. Well, first up is Avatar, The Way of Water. That's James Cameron's science fiction epic about the planet Pandora and its blue-skinned, pointy-eared inhabitants called the Navi. The Way of Water connects all things. It is a sequel to 2009's Avatar. We cannot let you bring your war here. Next up is Top Gun Maverick, also a sequel, this time to the 1986 movie Top Gun. Tom Cruise is back as rogue fighter pilot Maverick, who trains a new generation that includes the son of his pal from the first movie. You're kind of headed for extinction. Maybe so, sir. Joseph Kaczynski directs this one. But not today. Another big hit was Elvis. That's Baz Luhrmann's flashy, splashy musical biopic starring Austin Butler as the king of rock and roll. I can't move, I can't sing. And Tom Hanks as his sinister manager. Tomorrow, all America will be talking about Elvis Presley. And also a box office hit, particularly within its own kind of indie category, is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is the most nominated movie this year overall, 11 nominations in total. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. It's directed by Daniels, that is Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. It is a sprawling, silly, big-hearted science fiction action-adventure starring Michelle Yeoh as a Chinese immigrant who enters an expansive multiverse while being audited by the IRS. The universe. As you do. Is so much bigger than you realize. All right, so those are the box office hits. Then you have... A group of nominees that, while they might not be hits in the same way, they feel like very traditional Oscar contenders with kind of clear ties to past nominees that we may recall. Aisha, tell us about these. Yeah, well, first up, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, which is Edward Berger's German film about a young soldier fighting on the Western Front of World War I. War films, obviously, have had a very long, successful history at the Oscars, so it's not at all a surprise that this is in this category. Then we have The Banshees of Inisherin, which is Martin McDonough's film set during the Irish Civil War, about two lifelong friends at an impasse. Just tell me what I've done to you. When you didn't do anything to me. When one of them abruptly decides to end their relationship. I just don't like you no more. You like me yesterday. McDonough is an established playwright whose work has been nominated before in this category. Um, A few years ago, he had the film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, if you all remember that very polarizing movie. (laughs) We had thoughts. And then we also have The Fablemans, which is Steven Spielberg's deeply personal film about a Jewish-American boy. Movies are dreams. Who dreams of making movies. That you never forget. Spielberg, of course, has a long-standing relationship with the Oscars, and this is his 12th Best Picture nomination. 
All right. So we've got big hits. We've got kind of traditional Oscar picks. Stephen, give us a rundown of the remaining ones, which are kind of the maybe a little offbeat, welcome surprise kind of Oscar nominees. Well, first up, you've got Tar. That's Todd Field's character study about a fictional, world-famous composer and conductor played by Kate Blanchett. You want to dance the mask, you must service the composer. Then you've got Triangle of Sadness. That's Ruben Ustlin's broad and vomit-filled satire. The success of a luxury cruise mainly depends on you. Set, at least in part, on a luxury yacht. And finally, we've got Women Talking. That's writer-director Sarah Polly's film about a group of Mennonite women who gather to discuss the abuse they've suffered at the hands of the men in their community. We've liberated ourselves. And they decide what to do next. We will have to ask ourselves who we are. Well, so Glenn, you read off the the box office hits. There are a lot of kind of big money makers uh, on this list, which has not always been the case. What do you sort of make of that? Well, a couple things leap out. This was another weird year for seeing movies in theaters. You know, the movie houses were back open, yes, but the pandemic has gotten us all out of the habit of going out to see the movies. And those four films I mentioned, Avatar, Way of Water, Top Gun, Maverick, Elvis, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, what they offered was the kind of spectacle that you go out to see movies for, that that got a lot of butts back in seats. If this had been a normal year, would a movie like Top Gun Maverick have gotten a nomination? I I don't know, but what I think we're seeing here is the Academy thanking filmmakers like Cameron and Cruz and Lerman for basically jumpstarting an industry that's deeply worried about its future because of streaming. And the fact that people actually saw these movies likely means that more people are going to be interested in the Oscars race, and that means that the ratings for the broadcast might be up, because the ratings for the Oscars broadcast have been down. And we know that is something the Academy worries about. We don't know exactly why the Academy worries about that, but we know they do. That's why they expanded the potential list of Best Picture nominees to 10 back in uh, 2009. That was deliberately to include more popular movies into the Best Picture mix. And if there was ever any doubt, we saw just how thirsty they were last year when they introduced those weird online polls about the most (laughs) cheerable moments in cinema which is how we all came to realize that the moment in Justice League when the Flash entered the Speed Force was the most important moment in cinema. (laughs) Rosebud schmozebud. (laughs) That's what matters. We all remember where we were. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there is a clip going around of Steven Spielberg thanking Tom Cruise for, like, getting people back to the theaters for Top Gun. So clearly it's coming from within the Academy, as Glenn said, where there's just, like, there's this hope that people will continue to go see movies on the big screen, in the theater, mm-hmm. live, and, and, and around other people. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the industry is saying that even with all of these hits, we're still trending in the other direction. Yeah, yeah I like the idea of Steven Spielberg thanking Tom Cruise for getting people back to the movies, only to release The Fablemans, a movie very, very few people have seen. But I do want to sound <laughs> an optimistic note for a second and just say that I do appreciate how much thematic breadth there is in this 10-picture field for Best Picture. The fact that they find room, obviously one of the reasons they found room for Top Gun Maverick is that it made a boatload of money, but I appreciate the fact that somebody made a very good sequel to Top Gun and that is considered in the same breath as kind of a, a more typical, arty 
kind of Oscar movie, I appreciate the fact that the field doesn't just consist of nothing but kind of stultifyingly serious historical dramas, because we've had fields like that in past years where you're just kind of dredging through the imitation game and Uh darkest hour and these kind of grim, portentous historical dramas. The fact that you have a field that includes a very ambitious science fiction epic and everything everywhere all at once, a traditional war movie like All Quiet on the Western Front, a Top Gun sequel, an Avatar sequel, an Elvis biopic. I do appreciate that there's room for a bunch of different kinds of movies, even if these aren't necessarily the 10 movies I would have picked as the 10 best movies of 2022. I like the idea of expanding the definition of what constitutes a great movie. I'd love to see more comedies get Oscar nominations is a pulpit I pound on every single year. But I do appreciate that there are a bunch of different kinds of movies here. Yeah, I appreciate that, too. I did find this year to be a year where, as I went through these films, I had several where I very much admired kind of the contributions that the filmmakers were making to kind of the craft of filmmaking, the visual effects in Avatar, the flying scenes in Top Gun, You know, even the kind of Baz Luhrmann split screen stuff that there's a lot (laughs) of in Elvis. And yet there was some part of me that found it hard to connect with the hearts of a lot of these films. And what I don't want to see is a world where, yes, we can nominate lots of different kinds of films, but we sort of don't expect everything to have a heart because You can make any kind of movie, including a visual effects-heavy epic or a stunt-heavy action movie, and still have a little more heart than I found in some of these films. And so I do hope that they continue to prioritize, like, still please write a script, you know, still please (laughs) write a script that is compelling. Because one of the things that's missing from this list is what I found to be one of the most emotionally moving films of the year, which is After Sun, which was directed by Charlotte Wells and is about a father and daughter on a, a vacation together. And it's not flashy. It's very visually inventive, but it's not as technically um, flashy. And I wanted more films like that that really, really moved me because I don't want to see a division between these are the emotional movies and these are the technical achievements because those things can exist in the same films. And I think those things did exist in some movies that did come out but weren't nominated, like The Woman King, which I think could have easily had the slot that something like Top Gun or Avatar had. And look, I, I enjoyed Top Gun for what it was, but The Woman King was operating on a slightly different level in terms of both emotional mm-hmm. tug at the heartstrings as well as the technicality and sort of the, the fight scenes, the w- way those were choreographed were so well done and, and visceral in the best ways possible. And another movie that has a lot of heart and is also a spectacle is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Can we take a moment, please, to appreciate what a deeply, deeply bizarre movie (laughs) Everything Everywhere All at Once is? And it's up for maybe the most punishingly basic mainstream prize in all of popular culture. I mean, if it wins, it's going to make history as the weirdest movie ever to win Best Picture. And and to be clear, that's a good thing. Yes. I'm still surprised. (laughs) I still don't quite believe it, but I grew up ignoring all the major categories in the Oscars because as Stephen mentioned, they were all historical epics and bloated biopics and actors slapping on prosthetics to feign a disability or being so very, very brave as to play a queer person. And so I got used to 
the Academy tossing the films that I liked the same bone every year, which was the screenplay category, right? Do the Right Thing, Being John Malkovich, Ghost World, Adaptation, Heavenly Creatures, In the Loop, Sex Lies and Videotape, The Usual Suspect, The Grifters, In Bruges. Those are the movies that I was home waving my little rah-rah pennant for every time, right? And to be clear, the Academy is still shutting out some great movies for Best Picture, but still trying to have their cake and eat it too by doling out screenplay nominations for films like Can You Ever Forgive Me and The Lobster and Knives Out and Ex Machina, but if they give the Academy Award on Oscar night for Best Picture to a film that is all bagels and butt plugs, (laughs) I won't know what to do with my damn self. (laughs) Well, I don't think we should overstate how much Everything Everywhere All at Once does check an enormous number of boxes for a Best Picture winner. You know, one of the things that we debate when we're talking about what is likeliest to win, box office comes into play, right? One of the reasons several people have predicted Top Gun Maverick might win Best Picture is that it made more than a billion dollars worldwide and that got butts back into seats. I think the same not only is true of Avatar The Way of Water, but is really also true of everything everywhere all at once. It checks the box office box. It checks the inventiveness box. But I think of all of this field, it probably has the most of what Linda was talking about, hard as it is to quantify, as heart. This is a very sentimental film in a lot of ways. It triggers a lot of sentimental appreciation, not only for its themes and its execution, but for its actors. And I think in that way, it's a little bit more of a traditional Oscar box checker than than it might seem in its weirdest moments. Nevertheless, I do think it is worth recognizing that one of the previous films by these filmmakers is Swiss Army Man, which is about a man kept company by a corpse. Uh A farting corpse. Yes. A farting corpse, to be fair. (laughs) And I think that trajectory is one that I like a lot, that you can make a movie that is really widely talked about for how weird it is, like Swiss Army Man, and then you can, you know, still keep your sort of odd vision and your very particular idiosyncratic approach and maybe one day be nominated for Best Picture. So I dig that. Before we share some of our own predictions, I want to mention that the Oscar voting for Best Picture is done by preferential ballots. And if you need a refresher on what that means, it means that voters rank the movies rather than picking just one. In practice, what's the effect of that? It means that a movie can do really well if it's not everybody's first choice, but it's a very popular second or third choice. It's basically a system that rewards being near the top of a lot of ballots, and it can make it harder to win if you're a love-hate kind of movie where people who didn't rank you first maybe ranked you last. So as we make our predictions, just bear that in mind. Also bear in mind as we record this, not all of the precursor awards, the kind of lead-up awards, have been given out. So we don't have all the data that we will have on Oscar night when they're about to open the envelopes. But knowing what we do, we're going to talk about what we think should win and will win. Best picture. Aisha, I'm going to start with you. What do you think should win and will win? Okay, so I think... What should win Best Picture is everything, everywhere, all at once, for all the many reasons we kind of already touched on. Um, But will win, I think, is The Fablemans because of the fact that Steven Spielberg at this point is such a institution within the Academy. And this is a very personal film. And I also don't want to discount the fact that this movie does deal with anti-Semitism in a moment when we are really kind of that's at the forefront of our mind outside of Hollywood. So I can see that story, the connection to Spielberg. And also its very timeliness um, really resonating with voters this year. 
All right. Stephen Thompson, what do you think should win, will win? Well, I do love The Fablemans, and I think Aisha raises some compelling arguments for it. I worry about its box office. But my pick for should win and will win is Everything Everywhere All at Once. I have talked in great detail about how much I love this film. I will spare you a regurgitation of that. But I do want to talk a little bit about the prevailing mood of the movie industry, which is one of the kind of the big themes that you take into the Oscars this year. And there's a lot of feeling that the industry is at a crossroads where there are movies that make a ton of money at the box office, but they tend to be these large-scale, tentpole, hundreds of millions of dollars, intellectual property-driven, your Top Gun Maverick, your Avatar The Way of Water. Those movies cost a fortune, and they are kind of pre-existing franchises. And, And I think everything, everywhere, all at once... The fact that it made a bunch of money at the box office really works in its favor. This is a movie that is really helping to brighten the future of the movie industry, right? These are like young upstart directors uh, who made a movie that had really a much wider appeal than you would ever imagine given some of the components contained within it. To me, this movie makes the future look bright for the movie industry, and that is really, really important right now. All right. So Stephen is a should win and will win for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Glenn, how about you? Uh, Should win Everything Everywhere All at Once for all the reasons we've talked about. Will win? Well, here's my theory of the case. I've got a bulletin board with red yarn and a lot of thumbtacks. Um, I think younger Oscar voters are going to go for Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is only meat and fitting. I think... Older Oscar voters are going to go for The Fablemans. It's Spielberg. It is magic of the movies. It's more than that. And in the sense that it is any more than that, that's all to do with the Michelle Williams performance. So if, follow me now, if everything everywhere all at once is the younger folks' choice and Fablemans is the older folks' choice, everybody's second or third choice is going to be, I think, Banshees of Sharon, which I'd be fine with because it looks like it's this sweet, charming, bucolic fable of life in an Irish village, but it's really pretty dark and if you're me, it's pretty funny and it's got a real edge and I could live with that. So should win everything everywhere all at once and will win Banshees of Sharon. All right, Glenn Weldon, I am going to say should win, yes, also everything everywhere all at once. I think you all make compelling cases. I worry a little bit that everything everywhere may have peaked a little too early as I think did tar. There was a time when it seemed to me like it might be tar. I think that's past that moment. So I'm going to say we'll win everything everywhere all at once because I'm thinking with my heart. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) That's what I'm choosing to do. There you go. Those were my friends, Linda Holmes, Aisha Harris, Stephen Thompson, and Glenn Weldon. They are co-hosts of Pop Culture Happy Hour, the full version of this conversation with more insights into other categories as well. We'll drop on March 10th. The Oscars happen next Sunday, March 12th, so you've still got time to watch these films before the winners are announced. This episode was produced by Mike Katzif, Brent Bachman, and Audrey Wynn. It was edited by Jessica Reedy, Bilal Qureshi, and Jennifer Schmidt. The Pop Culture Happy Hour theme music is by Hello Come. Up for Sunday is also produced by Justine Yam. We've received audio engineering support from Carly Strange. Our supervising producer is Liana Simstrom, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. I'm Rachel Martin. Up first, we'll be back tomorrow with all the news you need to start your week. Until then, have a great rest of your weekend. <laughs>